Uh, this is uh, Dave Asprey. I'm a professional rapper. Yes. What's your rap name? Uh, it's uh, uh, MC Buttermaster. And my, my favorite rap is uh, Hypoglybitchy That Once Was Me. Now I'm rolling with my yak butter tea. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Drew Prode here with the Broken Brain Podcast. We have a game-changing episode for you today. Game-changing. We have Dave Asprey, founder and CEO of the Bulletproof Movement and Company and one of the pioneers of the modern biohacking movement. Dave has a new book out called Game Changers, What Leaders, Innovators, and Mavericks Do to Win at Life. And we're going to dive deep into some of the top lessons Dave covers in his new book. And I promise you, they're all so different and yet so, so relevant. Here's a little preview of today's episode. Today, Dave talks to us about gratitude and what exactly happens in our brain when we practice it and why gratitude is the ultimate biohack. Dave also talks about how winning in the bedroom is part, an important part of life. Yes, you heard that right, winning in the bedroom, and why four of the 47 laws featured in his book have to do with sex. Yes, we go there and we don't stop. We also talk about intentional orgasms and how they impact the brain and what the Taoist formula for longevity has to do with men and how often they ejaculate. Yep. We talk about community and why having game-changing friends who support you and have similar values can help you reach your goals and bring joy, more joy into your life. And Dave also shares his advice for someone who feels like they aren't surrounded by supportive friends and family and what he would recommend they do. And lastly, we talk about why it's so important to eat like your grandmother or great-grandmother and not just like a paleo caveman. Okay, are you pumped? Well, I just want to say that if you love this episode, please consider leaving a review for the Broken Brain Podcast on your favorite podcast app like the Apple iTunes Podcast app. It would mean the world to my team and I and would help others find the show. Thanks in advance. And now, on to my formal intro for father, husband, CEO, and biohacker, Dave Asprey. Welcome to the Broken Brain Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Perot, and today's guest is a dear friend of mine, Dave Asprey. Dave Asprey is the founder and CEO of Bulletproof 360, Inc., a leading food and beverage and content company and the creator of the widely popular Bulletproof Coffee. He is the New York Times bestselling science author and the host of the Webby Award-winning podcast, Bulletproof Radio. Over two decades, Dave has worked with world-renowned doctors and scientists to uncover the most innovative methods for enhancing mental and physical performance by taking control of his own biology, a process known as biohacking. Through the Bulletproof Diet, Dave has maintained a 100-pound weight loss and has helped hundreds of thousands of people perform at levels far beyond what they expect without burning out, getting sick, and allowing stress to control their decisions. Dave has appeared on The Today Show, CNN, Dr. Oz, and other major media outlets. Dave, welcome to the Broken Brain Podcast, and congratulations on your fifth book, which I power-read last night, called Game Changers, What Leaders, Innovators, and Mavericks do to win at life. It's an honor to have you here. Drew, it's an honor to be here uh, for you and our, our mutual friend, uh, Dr. Hyman, and just to, to share this knowledge with you. Dave, you're super big on gratitude. And it's like, I think that when I think of Dave, I think of gratitude because I've seen you speak so many times. And, and especially the last few times I've seen you speak, you've just talked about how important gratitude is. In fact, we threw an event, Dr. Hyman and I threw an event this summer uh, called the Feel Good Summit, 
And uh, you gave one of the keynotes there and you said on stage that gratitude is the ultimate biohack. Tell us a little bit more about gratitude and why you picked it as the 44th law in this incredible book. Uh, sure. Uh, that's going to require a brief discussion of, of biohacking and just the definition of it was added to Merriam-Webster's this year as one of 840 new words in the English language. I love that. And my name was in the definition, which is kind of kind of cool. Uh, so when I, I put this idea together about seven years ago, I said there's no community for people who are united by this idea that we can have control of our own biology. And control is something that you get by changing the environment that you're in around and outside of you, but also the environment inside of you. And when you do that, your body will actually do what you want. That was what I wanted when I was looking to lose 300 pounds and, and things like that. And over the course of, of the learning I've done 20 years in the anti-aging nonprofit world and being a computer hacker, uh, a professional computer security guy for a long time, uh, I learned that there are ways of thinking about how we interact with the world around us with other people um, that change us fundamentally and change the world fundamentally. And being hungry all the time, uh, being angry or traumatized or fearful all the time, those will take you off your game. But the antidote for those, uh, clearly eating the right stuff, um, you talk about that a lot on the show, that's that's easy. But how do you deal with that state where you're anxious and fearful or you feel there's just too much chaos in the world around you or the voice in your head tells you, you know, the world's a scary, angry, bad place and there's not enough? It's a completely free biohack and it's gratitude. And what I did in Game Changers is I interviewed on Bulletproof Radio 450 world-changing people, uh, Nobel Prize winners, Navy SEALs, uh, Dr. Hyman, and just a long list of people, not just from health, but, but people who've done very big, very interesting things that are making the world a better place. And I asked them, what matters most for people who want to perform better at everything they do. In other words, not just at their job, not just at their passion, but just you want to be a better parent, you want to be a better human being, a better friend, you know, a better ping pong player. It, it, it doesn't matter. You, 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 want, you want to do whatever you do with excellence. And what these people had discovered after a statistical analysis of these answers with a big enough sample size to matter was gratitude bubbled up. The, the people who had learned to consciously incorporate gratitude into their practices were able to do more things that mattered. And they were able to do that because gratitude turns off anxiety and anxiety creates friction in everything you do. It's, it's invisible, unconscious friction sometimes. So every night before I go to bed, I sit down with my kids, they're nine and 11. And I say, tell me three things you're grateful for. And sometimes you hear, you know, these, these little, you know, I'm, I'm happy we had you know, grass fed steak for dinner. It was so yummy. And you know, my, my son, when he was five said, daddy, I'm happy for, or I'm grateful for the big bang because without it, there wouldn't be anything. And you could see little wheels turning. It doesn't matter. Everyone listening, you, you find something to be grateful for. Even if you look down and say, well, I'm grateful. I still have both legs today. Other than that, it was a pretty crappy day. Look, that will change your brain. It changes your neurotransmitters. And you can sleep better when you do that. You will be kinder to the people around you when you do that. And that's why gratitude was one of the most important of the 46 laws that emerged from all this research that forms game changers. And, and you talk about its ability and the relationship between gratitude and, and fear, right? What's, what's happening in the brain and, and what's happening in our body uh, 
and and you know I, I often don't think I guess I guess what I'm saying is that people don't often think about using gratitude to get over fear. People experience these fearful moments and fearful things. What did you find in your own personal life when it came to the relationship between gratitude and fear? In my own path of not just losing that hundred pounds, but being anxious and frankly fearful, but not even knowing that. Uh, like like I, I had sort of said, I, I'm not feeling those things. I just act this way. Uh, what I found is that when I strapped electrodes to my head and looked at my brain waves, and I spent four months of my life doing that, started a neuroscience facility that does executive brain upgrades called 40 Years of Zen. What you find is that when people turn on gratitude, their brain waves actually shift. You go out of the beta sort of responsive fight or flight state, their heart rate the, the shape of the space between the heartbeats changes and you can measure what happens biologically. But in this law, in Game Changers, I refer to the work of Dr. Stephen Porges, who is just a luminary in the field, one of my favorite interviews ever on Bulletproof Radio. And he invented something called polyvagal theory, which is around the vagus nerve. This is the primary nerve that runs uh, through your left ear and down your spine and innervates the entire body. And he figured out it does different things. And one of the things that happens is you go into fight or flight mode or sympathetic nervous system response. It affects that nerve and that nerve affects the operating of your, your meat, of your body profoundly from a hormone perspective, from an energy usage, from metabolism, from how much sugar is in the body, how much cortisol, adrenaline, uh, testosterone, estrogen. It's, it's very, very core. So we look at what he says on Bulletproof Radio, and you look at all the personal development guys like Tony Robbins and, and the work that I've done, and I put it into Law 44 along with the work of Alyssa Eppel, who's a, a medical doctor who worked with Elizabeth Blackburn on the telomere effect. It turns out that if you're fearful and you're not expressing gratitude, it'll shorten the telomeres in your cells. And telomeres are like a wick in your candle for your life. The shorter they are, the less life you have left. If you can lengthen them through gratitude, which you can, that's why gratitude is so important. So you'll live longer, you'll be healthier, healthier, you'll perform better. And most importantly, you will be nicer to yourself and to everyone in your life. Like that's how important it is. And this isn't about what you eat. This is about how you show up in the world. And a lot of game changers, the people who did this, uh, who, who met the bar to be on Bulletproof Radio, the big three things that they did when, when you boil it down is they did things to be smarter, they did things to be faster and they did things to be happier. The people who are happiest do the most amazing stuff in the world because they have less friction in their life and gratitude is the gateway to happiness. I love it. In this book, uh, which is a collection, as you mentioned, these 400 plus episodes over the last few years, 75 million downloads, which has been incredible, featured on Apple Podcasts and syndicated in so many different ways. It's This book is such a great opportunity to collect all the learning and the knowledge. And I almost see it as like all these tools in the toolbox, people can read it, go through these different laws and then pick up and try on a tool. Not only are you sharing what you learn from these authors, but you're also sharing things that you integrated into your own life or things that you were doing yourself. And it provides a great example for uh, readers to say, okay, do I want to try to add this into my repertoire? What can I expect? What, what, what could it look like? Like what could the routine look like? And you can add that into the toolbox of the tips and tricks that you're using to biohack your own life. So 
well done. <laughs> well, thanks. And I, I wanted to avoid the trap. Uh, people always say, Dave, tell me all the vitamins you take. Like, let, let me explain something to you. <laughs> I'm 6'4". I'm in my mid-40s. I'm about 9.6% body fat right now. I used to be obese. I have, ha- I have a long history of autoimmune issues that run in my family that I've had personally. And if you were to take the supplements that I take that are tuned over 20 years, you probably wouldn't like the outcome. And people oftentimes make the mistake of saying, well, this one billionaire, this one really successful person, this one Olympic gold medalist, they did this, so I'm going to go do it. I'm like, bad news. You have different genetics. You had a different upbringing. You have a different life. You probably live in a different part of the world. All of those things matter greatly. What if we could learn from not just one person, but hundreds of people, how they prioritized what they did, what was most important. And from there, once you've done your prioritization, then you go in and you start looking at specific tools. And so for me, I wrote Game Changers because I've dealt with that chaos. There's a a large portion of my life as, as a young adult where I had the accelerator all the way to the floor and I was slowing down no matter how hard I pushed. And I just didn't know what to do. And if I'd have had this book when I was 20 or heck, when I was 30, it would have saved me a lot of suffering and wasted time and floundering around to try and figure out what worked. And if back then I had said, I'm going to do what this one successful person did, it probably wouldn't work for me. So every law in the book has a set of very brief exercises after it. No one's going to read Game Changers and say, I'm going to do all 46 laws of high performance right now. Um, Screw that noise. You don't have time and it's distracting and you'll actually feel stress that you didn't do them all. What you're going to do is you're going to read the book. You're going to realize what you're not prioritizing. You're going to go through that section, find what sits best for you and you're going to do that first you might do just two or three of these and then revisit and go back but this is meant to be a a guidebook to tell you where do i put my newfound energy now that you know i've I've listened to uh, listen to this show i've learned how to eat i have more energy i feel better i'm sleeping better what am i going to do with this extra energy are you going to go and watch breaking bad over and over which is fun uh and, and i highly endorse doing um or are you going to put it into yourself and if so where would you put it first and i didn't know that so by writing a book that's the best way you can learn something you either teach a class or you write a book i spent well, I actually measured this. If you were to listen to the call of 500 episodes of Bulletproof Radio that that I recorded for this, if you listen eight hours a day, five days a week, like a full-time job, it's going to take you 25% of a year just to listen. But then to go through, analyze, statistically, uh, boil things out and prioritize. So, so for me, this is probably an entire year's worth of full-time work, uh, the amount of, of time that went into the book. But by doing that, I got the benefit of all these things built into my nervous system. Now, like I, I, I live these rules and it's absolutely changed how I can show up as a leader of Bulletproof, as a father, as a husband, as a friend. So I, I just, I needed to learn these things. So by sharing them in a structured way, I, I hope it helps everyone who reads the book. Yeah, and I think structured is a key, and it's there's never been more information on the on the web and the amount of content that's being put out there in the health space, which is so beautiful. Between Instagram, podcasts, and other areas, is incredible. But within all that noise, we have to find the focus, and we have to find the themes and the concepts that are there. And this book does a really great job. Uh, speaking about the book and gratitude and things you've learned from people, this book is dedicated to your friend and biohacker Bill Harris, who I know uh, passed away earlier this year. Uh, Bill had a passion for teaching people about meditation with hollow sync and also was really big in, in charity and uh, philanthropy. 
um, you have this great lesson and this great story that you learn from Bill in Law 18, where he talks about the limbic system, dopamine, and making bad decisions. Uh, could you tell us a little bit more about Bill and and if you if you'd like to, you know, Law 18 and some of those lessons that you learned um, from him? Uh, sure. Each of the laws has a, sort of a, a pithy name. And then it has a one paragraph uh, description of the law. And this is a, a format readers probably know if you've read 48 Laws of Power uh, or any of Robert Greene's books. And Robert Greene's been on Bulletproof Radio, and I, I fully acknowledge him for this idea of, of studying a huge bunch of things and boiling it down to principles. Uh, and, and I just have to say, 48 Laws of Power was, was profound. So if, if this sounds familiar uh, from a format, this is where it came from. Law 18 in Game Changers is... Use sex to get the best drugs. And you could think, what? <laughs> I thought this was a book about you know, human performance. It turns out there's four laws about what sex does. And I'm going to talk about why that's important, and we'll get into Bill Harris specifically. In my work on understanding human biology and my last, uh, my last big book about mitochondria, these are ancient bacteria that inhabit our body that are still calling the shots on how you behave every day. So there's more of these ancient bacteria built into your cells than there are cells in your body. There's more of them than there are bacteria in your gut. And they run a very simple operating system. Number one, run away from, kill, or hide from scary things. This is where fear and anxiety and procrastination and even shame and things like that come from. It's quadrillions of ancient bacteria trying to keep you from getting eaten by things right now. And when they're convinced that there's no current threat the next thing they're worried about is starving to death, which is why there's a voice in your head that says, eat bagels all the time. And you're just constantly thinking about food unless those bacteria are satisfied. And you can use gratitude and forgiveness to turn off fear. You can use the right food and not eating the wrong foods to turn off hunger. But the third thing that bacteria will do if those first two are met, they will reproduce because if they don't reproduce, it's the end of the species from a dumb little bacteria's perspective. And this explains why everyone who's who's listening has gone on dates or had relationships that they really ought not to have had, <laughs> or at least we'll call them impure thoughts. And this is because there are a quadrillion little bacteria conspiring to make you do that, and they get to call the shots before you do. And this emergent behavior that drives our, our consciousness also creates huge amounts of energy because all the energy you put into uh, basically worrying about sex and love in your life, worrying about food and worrying about things that aren't really threats, that's energy that you don't get to put back into yourself or into the world. And in Law 18, use sex to get the best drugs. I did talk with Bill Harris. Bill was a monk uh, for for a long time. I've seen Bill's brainwaves. Uh, we were we were personal friends. You know, I've, I've been out to Portland where, where he lives and he is one of the original brain hackers. He created audio programs called Centerpoint uh, that I used 15, 20 years ago, even that can help you to sort out the the voices that are yours versus your inner critic and things like that. And was a, a you know well on his path to enlightenment, I would say. He's also a, a profoundly giving philanthropist who's given away tens of millions of dollars uh, to very important causes uh, over the course of his life. Just just a, a a profound human being, which is why I I dedicated the book to him. And the law 18, it says conscious sex with the right people creates neurochemicals that set you free and create the state of flow. Porn creates neurochemicals that make you an addict that blocks the state of flow. Choose wisely. And we're living in a world where porn is, is more accessible than it ever has been. And 
sex itself is an altered state and the world's top performing people, many of them, but not all of them have figured out that if they don't have things right in their relationships, including in the bedroom, that their ability to show up fully in the world isn't there. And this is something that you don't read about in health books. It's something that very few people will talk about, but it's something that's intrinsic to being a human. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm pretty vulnerable in the book and then I, I talk about my own experiments and understanding there is an orgasm hangover for men and what it looks like and how to deal with it and looking at things like what will happen to you if you start uh, engaging in porn and what it does is, is it really hijacks your brain and Bill talked about this in detail and I also interviewed Dr. Pooja Lakshman who is at uh, Rutgers if memory serves and has actually put women in fMRI machines and looked at their brains during orgasm to see what's actually happening in there. And what's happening in there is that you can you can have profound spiritual experiences or you can just have an enormous stress relief, but good things happen from good sex with good people and bad things happen from looking at porn and, you know, doing doing what you're going to do. This isn't a call to never masturbate again, uh, especially for women. And women and men have very different uh uh biology and very different brains around sex. And in the book, I dig into the science of it and also the conversations that I've had off camera with people because other than a few sex experts I've interviewed uh, and even one professional dominatrix uh, who has uh, just an amazing stories about why she did what she did and what kind of clients came in and what they got out of it. And hence, none of them were having sex. They were getting something else. So what's going on in there? Maybe we could talk about that. That's in Game Changers. And that change in your brain, the increase in oxytocin is different for men and women. Uh, but by paying attention to that, you can unlock both dramatic reductions in stress, increases in happiness, increases in connectedness, community-mindedness, emotional intelligence. But if we don't talk about that and sex is the shameful thing we do in the bedroom with the lights off, uh, how are you going to know that some of those people who are showing up really well in the world, it's because they showed up well in the bedroom? It's such an important topic. And on this idea of, uh, I was listening to uh, NPR and they had a um, survey, a national survey that they uh, were reporting on. They were talking about how uh, Pornography and masturbation amongst men and women is way up, but definitely pornography amongst men. And then actual physical intimacy between people. We're having less sex than our parents were before. There was like pornography and couples and, and other things like that. And there's like the practical real world application of how that affects how we focus, how we show up. And it's really about the book brings intentionality to every subject. How do we have intentionality around food, gratitude, meditation, sex, and other topics. And um, you did really great. And for anybody who's curious, Dave talks about his own personal uh, multiple sort of uh, rounds of experiencing going 30 days without uh, ejaculating and measuring uh, and uh, and measuring your level of focus and how you show up and, and going shorter periods of time with uh, – some experiments that you did with your your partner and they're super fascinating for anybody who's uh, interested in this topic. And, and it, it's not gross, just so, so people know that this isn't like the tell-all, you know, Madonna sex picture kind of book at all. It, this is about an old Taoist equation. The, the Taoists were interested in immortality uh, as well as enlightenment. And they figured out over the course of thousands of years of observation uh, before they had all the, the cool measurement tools we have now that 
for men, there's an equation and it's your age in years minus seven divided by four. And for me, as in my mid-40s, that yields a number of about eight. That means that I should ejaculate at most every eight days according to the, the Taoist equations. This is if I want to maintain my energy, I do that. And if I want to get younger and have more energy, once every 30 days. And as a man, make sure that my orgasm is less than an hour. Okay, so I read that. I'm like, this is such BS. I'm going to have to test it. So I went on this year-long course uh, with my wife's support that said, all right, we're going to test this. I'm going to measure my daily happiness. And based on that, uh, I'm, I'm just going to track how often do I you know, ejaculate? How often do I have sex without ejaculation? And you know, how, how satisfied am I with life? And what I found was that the Taoist equations were, were true. And there's something that happens to men and presumably women, uh, women uh, where you get to a point where you say, if I don't finish, if I don't ejaculate, I'm going to die. It's a voice in your head that's very strong. And this leads to a lot of unplanned pregnancies. And every guy listening knows what I'm talking about. Well, it's the same voice that says, if I don't eat the cookie, I'm going to die. And the same voice that says, if I don't leave this room right now, because people are looking at me funny, uh, or if I go on stage or whatever you're afraid of, I'm going to die. It's that same dumb meat programming we have. And just like you can learn to do intermittent fasting, which you've talked about on your show and say, you know, I'm actually not going to eat and I'm not going to die. When you get to the point where you say, you know, I can have a wonderful, loving oxytocin inducing experience. Um, that is sexual, that doesn't involve a full uh, full ejaculation for the man, it completely saves energy and you like your life better the next day. And I did not expect this. I was trying to disprove the, the Taoists, but after a year of this stuff, all I can tell you, people listening, if you're a man or a woman, the, the frequency of a man's ejaculation does have a strong impact on his energy and his ability to show up in the world. This isn't a call to, for less sex. It's a call for more sex and more loving uh, and maybe less focus on the outcome and more focus on the experience. Yeah. Anybody who's read into uh, Tantra and you talk about the Taoist traditions or even some of the work of like David Data, other, other authors on the subject, you know, and I've done my own personal experimentations where I might be in the process of building a new company and I've just have to be way more intentional and there's a reset period and a level of focus that comes in. So I think that's, uh, and, and, and not only that, not only the Taoist experience, because people, some people could say, well, that's like this ancient knowledge and tradition. What does it have to do with today? But you also had experts like John Gray on your podcast, um, men are from, uh, um, men are from Mars. Mars, women are from Venus, who would come in and share their own anecdotal and, and session experience where they would talk about the improvements that would happen within couples when intimacy was when a level of intentionality was brought into intimacy and how uh, people showed up. It, it, it was really interesting that four of the 46 laws were about, about sex. And I mean, Paul Zak, known as Dr. Love, the guy who, who really put oxytocin on the map as a meaningful neurotransmitter, he spoke at the Bulletproof conference. He's been on the show and, you know, Dr. Emily Morse, or sorry, not Dr. Uh, Emily Morse is a doctor who's a meditation expert, and Jolene Brighton, who's a doctor, and Neil Strauss. Um, these are people who've really gone deep on understanding what's going on. And when you look at what they have to say and you boil down the knowledge there, you just, you realize, hey, I probably wasn't looking this as looking at, at sex as something that affects how I'm going to show up in life. Uh, you look at a, a sort of a need that needs to get met. And just like you pay attention to what you put on your plate and how often you eat and what you eat and how much you exercise and all that stuff, 
Uh, sex deserves at least as much attention as exercise. Uh, and it just, it's missing from the national conversation. And I'm really hoping that this book helps, uh, helps people to understand like this, this matters that much. And, and these are like, John Gray is, is a master at this stuff. And some of the things that are in Game Changers, just in these four laws, it's, this is certainly not a book about sex by a long shot. It's a, a book about you know, showing up all the way. What, uh, what he describes is that, did you know that for women, sex does different things to their neurotransmitters at different times of the month. And that if a man understands that in a relationship, that, that the, the type and frequency and, and uh, just type of interactions you have change dramatically based on hormones. And so there's a you know, little graph in there that says, okay, here, here's what matters. And, and the idea is, if someone had just told me this when I was 20, like, do you know how much easier my relationships would have been and, and all that? Instead, we just sort of look at this as something that's on autopilot and something that never gets discussed. So as, as a biohacker, you know, the, the, the guy who put that word in the dictionary uh, and this idea that your environment around you matters, well, those little ancient mitochondrial bacteria in your body, they are really paying attention to whether they think the species is going to reproduce and they respond well to loving and intimacy, whether or not uh, it's, you know, full potentially someone getting pregnant. And if you feed them some of that, it is going to do profoundly good things for your ability to just like you said, start a company. When I, I first put this information on the blog, I had a lot of people say exactly that. Oh, I, I tried what you said, Dave, and I got a $30,000 raise in 60 days, or I started two new companies because the energy that, that they were wasting uh, went back into the world and they had a better love life at the same time, which is awesome. Dave, just like you shared about sex mattering and it's not typically something that people think as being part of our entire uh toolbox of, of biohacking and all the reverberations words matter too and so tell me a little bit about this idea of weasel words and and why you included that inside the book oh man i'm so happy you asked this drew uh, weasel words are something that i learned about from doing advanced neurofeedback on my brain, just seeing how my brain and my biology respond to language. And, and when you see your brainwave change, you realize that, that words have a direct impact on your nervous system. And the nervous system does not understand nuance. It doesn't understand context. It doesn't understand, uh, oh, that you meant this when you said that. Uh, if you look at the, the Four Agreements, uh, a famous book of, of shamanic uh, Toltec wisdom, one of the four agreements is have integrity in your word. And what that means is use words that are actually truthful. And some of the, the weasel words that I have taken out of my life, uh, at least largely, uh, occasionally one will make its way in and usually my kids will remind me. Um, some of these words are, are can't, or one of these words is can't. And when you say you can't do something, it's always a lie. Uh, what you're saying is you don't know how to do it. You don't have the tools to do it. You don't know of a solution, but you don't have actually any data that says you can't. And one of the lowest integrity things you can do that you probably do every day if you're listening is when someone says, hey, can you go to lunch? You say, I can't make it. That is an absolute lie. If it was the most important thing on earth, you would make it or maybe die trying. And so what I say is I am not going to make it. Right. And when that lands with someone, they feel valued. When you say you can't do something that you really could do, they know at a very subtle level that you're actually lying. 
and it it reduces your credibility and it it also affects them neurologically and there's no need for that and speaking of need another word that's on the weasel word list is need and when you say you need to go to the store you're lying you don't need to go to the store have you ever heard of instacart <laughs> have you ever heard of intermittent fasting and all that? What's going on is you want to go to the store. You've decided to go to the store. Uh, if you go to the store, you'll have the things that you want to have for dinner, whatever the, the true story is. If you change your inner dialogue away from need, need means you're going to die if you don't get it. And if you tell your body that you're going to die if you don't go to the store, will your stress levels be higher? Yes. Will your cortisol levels change? Yes. Will you stop thinking about other things that might be more important? Yes. So take that out of your inner dialogue and take it out of your dialogue with the world. And the next one is try. Uh, try is, is such a destructive word. And if you ask someone to go pick you up at the, to pick you up at the airport tomorrow and they said, yeah, I'll try to make it, you would expect to take an Uber, wouldn't you? Well, that's why try doesn't work. Try presupposes failure. So at our house, we don't try, we do. And I teach the kids that, and I work with my executive team on building this language into the way we communicate with the world, the way we internal, internally communicate. And the reason for that is that if I ask you know, one of my executives at, at Bulletproof, hey, uh, could you try to launch uh, the, new, uh, the new Luminate uh, Light Rose Coffee uh, in, in the next month? They know that I don't think they're going to do it. So then I've told them I don't have confidence in them and they're probably not going to do it. But if instead I say, launch the coffee in two months or would you please launch or I want you to launch or let's launch any of those words, those have integrity and power and try removes people's power. And if you say, I'm going to try to do 10 setups today, that's not, that's not okay. You say, I'm going to do 10 setups today. And if you fail, when you did it, that's okay too. And a lot of the reason we say the word try is because we're unconsciously fearful of failure. And those dumb little bacteria that are running our operating system, they know that if you fail, maybe no one will love you. And if no one loves you, maybe no one will feed you and you'll be ostracized and then you'll die because they're bacteria and they're stupid. And that's going on in our subconscious all the time. And when you just stamp that language out, they stop acting that way and you stop acting that way. And it's a really liberating experience to just only use words that are true. And it's also a good pushback and to a little bit of the nat of the momentum that's going on in our society where uh, a lot of things are not, um, there's so much noise. There's so much noise in it that we feel pulled in so many different directions. So I often see a lot of this languaging so up with social commitments and there's things that people don't want to go to, but they don't, they feel scared to tell their friend like, Hey, I don't want to go to that instead of like, Oh, we'll try. And it leaves the ambiguity because it feels like it's an easier way to hide. But even the idea on top of everything that you shared, when we speak a little bit more definitively, we can remove the stress that comes along with the pressure. You may think by telling your friend that you're going to try to make it, but you've internally decided you know, not to, lets you hide a little bit, but you carry the stress of that amb ambiguity everywhere you go. In fact, you just nailed the number one, the first law in the book that these high-performing people, or they said emerged from the, the research from these high-performing people. And it's use the power of no. Most of us, we really want to, not most of us, all of us are wired at a core level to 
help other people. It actually makes us happy. It puts us in a flow state to be of service. Uh, and it's it's one of the things that even ancient bacteria in your bodies will do. If you've ever seen yogurt or kombucha, you know that bacteria can work together too. We're wired to work together as a community and a species. But because of that wiring, we'll say, oh, I'll try to make it. Or yeah, you know, let, let's do it. And you, you're constantly finding that you say yes to more than you should say yes to because of that desire or because of fear. And the people who've learned to do things at, at epic levels and, and at very big scale, uh, they follow the power of no. And, and from the book, here's the description of law number one. It's you have 24 hours in a day. You can choose to spend those hours creating things you truly care about on insignificant matters or struggling to prove your worth by doing things that are hardest for you. Master the art of doing what matters the most to you. Things that create energy, passion, and quality of life with the lowest investment of energy. Decide less so you have more power for your mission. And what that means is that instead of saying, oh, I'll try to make it, you know, maybe I'll make it, you simply say, you know what? The juice is worth the squeeze on that one. I will make it. And then you make a clean no. And, and you say, you know, I'm not going to go. And the amount of relaxation that causes in you and in your friends who wanted you there is okay. And your friends may say, no, but I really want you to go. And you say, you know, that's totally true. I'm not going to go this time. There are some other things that I've decided to take care of. And I love you. I care about you. I'm not going. And you know what? They're gonna, it's going to land very differently. They say, oh, I'll try to make it. I need to go, but I have these other things I need to do. And all that Weasley stuff, you just drop it. And the amount of, of extra energy that's released in you and in other people is hard to express, but that extra energy goes into your Nobel Prize, into being the best parent you can be, into having enough energy after a two-hour commute to come home and be present. Whatever it is, it's free energy, and all you have to do is choose the right words and actually say no. Dave, when you think about your career and everything you've built, and obviously this book is a collection of all these incredible things you've learned from people both on the podcast and off the podcast and your own knowledge and your own experiment, you have Bulletproof, uh, the company, which has literally created the modern day biohacking movement on you coining uh, the phrase, there's your personal brand, uh, your ability to impact people in different places. People see that on the outside. But what do you think are, for whatever you feel comfortable sharing, when you look back on your career, even to the first time that you uh, thought that, okay, software development and being a, you know, a computer hacker and programmer was the path for you. What were some key things you said no to in your life that brought you to where you are today? Earlier in my career, I'm not, I was really successful as a, as a young guy. I made $6 million when I was 26. Uh, I lost it when I was 28, so I, I didn't. I didn't do all this from a position of wealth. Uh, I also used to work at Baskin Robbins and put truck parts in boxes for several years to pay for my college. Uh, so, um, you know, this, this isn't the silver spoon kind of a, a scenario. At the beginning of my career, I was successful probably because I'm I'm reasonably smart, and also because I I rarely said no to anything career-wise. And I always said no to myself. I said no to travel. I said no to self-care. Uh, I said no to uh, a lot of the things that would have made me a better human being because I was so focused on this idea that money would make me happy. And when I made $6 million, I looked at a friend at the same company. This was the company that held Google's first servers. I, I was a co-founder of, of a part of that company. And 
uh, I looked at a friend and said, you know, when I have $10 million, I'll be happy. And like, I look back on that as like a 26 year old egotistical jerk saying that I was set for life with $6 million. I, I could have walked away and, you know, led a life of luxury and learning and, you know, done a nonprofit and just done some cool stuff. And uh, I didn't uh, because I hadn't learned how to say no. And because I believe that myth that money makes you happy. By the way, that's another law in the book about money. Uh, I go through the science about how much money actually does make you happy. And there's really good research on it now. And the number is lower than you think. Making another dollar above $74,000 a year on average doesn't increase happiness. Uh, It's nice, but it's not where happiness comes from. And there are people who are happy with way less than that. So happiness is independent and unrelated to money above a relatively modest amount. And I think that's household income as well, not just individual income. So for me, I said no to the most important things, the things that are in Game Changers in favor of money and career. And (laughs) it was uh, probably the, the biggest thing for starting Bulletproof. I started... Uh, running an anti-aging nonprofit group uh, in Silicon Valley uh, almost 20 years ago, just to help share this kind of knowledge that had helped me lose my hundred pounds and helped me get my brain working again. uh, As I talked about on the broken brain uh, docuseries uh, with Mark about my brain really was broken and and it came back. And I, I go through all that stuff and I got to the point where I started the blog, not as a business and it was when I said no to the 20 years of my technology career, where I, I looked at it one day, I said, there's enough of a business here, even though I have a young, uh, I have two young kids, but one, you know, less than a year old, I am going to leave my Silicon Valley career and people who work in that industry know if once you're out for two years, you're out forever. It's so fast moving. If you're not dialed in, uh, it's, it's very hard to get back. And just to say no to that and say, I'm going to do something that matters more. That was a really big saying no for me and stepping into something completely different because my training in coffee, which is one of our first products is zero. I don't have a medical degree like, uh, like Dr. Mark Hyman. <laughs> I'm an unlicensed biohacker yet. I get to keynote on stage at the American Academy of anti-aging medicine. And I get to spend time with, with Mark and, and with so many other luminaries in the field. I get to interview them and learn from them and share the knowledge. It's all because I said no. It's incredible. It's incredible. And I think that's an important reminder for people who listen here because you have individuals where they're practitioners, whether they're people that are just trying to make their health better, trying to improve their health of their partner, their kids, impact different communities. There's always a crossroads as you continue to develop more information and make yourself better where you look at the other things that you're putting into your body and surrounding yourself with. And you are at a place where you got to decide to get to the next level of the impact that I want to make. Am I doing the things and winning at life, which is the subtitle of the book, but with my definition of what that means for me, what's important to me, what's my definition of how to win at life. Um, but asking the question, what is that definition for me? What is that definition for me of winning at life? When you think about yours, and I'm sure it's evolved over the years, what is that definition for you? What does it look like to win at life? Wow. That is an awesome interview question. And it's in the subtitle, you know, what leaders, innovators, and mavericks do to win at life. What I found from creating biohacking is that if you're an Olympic gold medalist, you want to be the very fastest or strongest or whatever your sport is in the world. If you're a, a Navy SEAL, 
your goal of winning at life is you know achieving your mission and not dying and not having what what's closer to you than your family actually you know your unit not having them die either and at the same time as that anyone who has kids knows that one of the ways you win at life is by being a good parent, which means not yelling at your kids when they've pestered you for the candy 6,000 times today and they're only halfway done, right? <laughs> so uh, it, it comes down to this, this core level of, of you know, control of your own biology and the ability to be conscious and fully aware uh, and in charge all the time and, and not let your own brain hijack you. Uh, and when I, I look at that, I mean, winning at life is is being able to make conscious choices all of the time and knowing that I have enough energy to bring it no matter what life brings to me. And that matters to me because in my mid-20s, I did not have that. When I, I talk about that, you know, accelerated the floor and going slower, that's a, a t- horrible feeling. Uh, and, and a lot of people today, because of social media and chaos and political news and uh, it just, it seems like the world's going really fast and that sense of chaos is something that, that kind of takes you out of that mode. And for me, winning at life is being able to say, oh, I've got enough energy to handle that stuff. I'm not going to be reactive to it. I'm going to instead tell myself a story that's equally likely to be true. And the story that will get put in our heads and the story that was put in my head is, you know, the world's not a very nice place. Things are going to hell in a handbasket and, you know, kind of the, the, there's no hope and, and I hope I make it. The equally true story at the same time and the one uh, that, that I choose uh, and the one that helps me win at life and, and is actually part of that goal is that the world is a place full of shocking abundance. There is less war right now than there has been in much of the history of the world. There's less starvation than there has been, although these are both still present. There's less of it than there has been. The ability for one person to change the world now is so much higher than it ever has been. Just the fact that you and I can be communicating um, over the internet, and I know I helped to build parts of, of, of what we're doing, like of what's supporting our technology here, I know because of that, that it's based on millions and millions and millions of hours of human ingenuity that just look invisible to us, but it's all there. So we have more technology, more tools, more communication, more people, more minds than we've ever had in all of human history. And we have more problems too, but we have so much to solve them. So I can choose that as part of how I win at life and know that I can be a part of that, or I can choose that other feeling. And the deal is I've got to have the energy to do that. And I've got to have the presence and sense of mind to do that. And for me, that's what winning at life is about, is being able to maintain the presence and sense of mind no matter what's happening and know I've got this. I love it. And on that note, nobody wins at life alone. We're part of an ecosystem and it's now becoming more present than ever. I saw the stats that were just released last week that our lifespan in the in North America um, has gone down primarily because of two things: the opioid crisis. We've lost, we've knocked off, I think two, two to two and a half years off the lifespan in the U.S., and then also suicide rates being up, and in some states going as high as you know an increase of thirteen percent and more. And of course, suicide is such a complicated topic, and there's so many aspects that are in there. But a lot of the leading researchers talk about community and the degradation of community. And your book, community, is an incredible 
theme. In fact, you have a whole section. One of the themes that you have multiple laws in is your community, is your environment. At what point in time in your career when you were switching from Silicon Valley and going into Bulletproof, and obviously you mentioned you had this anti-aging um, nonprofit, um, when did you and how did you understand that was community that was essential to uh, your your goals and dreams and your version of winning at life? Uh, community is one of those environmental variables that no one really thinks about much like like sex and historically even much like like foods why well, ate the stuff that tasted good obviously and the research about communities uh, that, that's in the book law 36 is you're a reflection of your community and the people who who made it onto bulletproof radio the people who had done some really big noteworthy things talked about uh, you know, creating a safety net of people to be there for you uh, long before you need them and that there are people who bring out the best in you and push you to be bigger and better. And I mean, I'm talking about Tony Robbins and Peter Diamandis and even J.P. Sears, you know, the the ultra spiritual a guy with long red hair, you'll see who's a, a personal friend and actually a, a personal development. Uh, I would call him almost a guru, but certainly a, a trained coach in that in addition to being a comedian. We talked about that, and their stories are are part of the illustration of that law in the book. And I didn't realize this. I the way I came into the world, I actually thought that you, you had to do everything yourself. You know, sort of every man is an island, and this radical self reliance thing. And that's actually not how it works. Uh, people desperately want to help each other because we're wired to do that. And if you build a community where you help people first. Uh, without expecting anything back and and you attract people like that into your life uh, and like I have with uh, with Mark uh, you know Mark Hyman uh, he is a genuine helping human being who will, will help the people he comes in touch with and uh, and and I am like that as well and and you realize you can build a community of, of people who are who are awesome but if you don't do it consciously it's sort of like I just reach for the you know the the Snickers bar uh, or you know the the sugary soda uh, because it was it was just convenient and it was an unconscious act. So you can build your community and the people who do these big things almost universally will talk about that somewhere. The power of their friends, the power of their relationships uh, in their home. And what also came out of this is that for you to have a healthy relationship at home uh, with your your spouse one of the biggest contributors to whether it'll be a successful relationship is whether your community supports your relationship. And this came from Esther Perel's work, which is part of two different laws in the book. And so when you read this, you realize, okay, am I in a community that supports me? Am I in no community whatsoever? And your risk of suicide and anxiety and depression and all will be much lower if you're not in a community or if you're in a, a dysfunctional community. And it's, it's, it's almost hard to put so much uh, language on that because since I didn't know it, uh, that that was important, I thought I was an island uh, until I really started doing nonprofit work with this anti-aging group. I realized, okay, my community now is people three times my age who are getting younger and performing better than I am sometimes cognitively uh, because I was having some health stuff and I was still obese. Uh, I realized what that community uh, did for me. Uh, it was called the the Silicon Valley Health Institute. I'm still a strategic advisor to the to that nonprofit, and I looked at the power of that community, and I looked at 
what happens uh, in uh, you know the, the world of health and wellness. Uh, people listening to the show probably don't understand this, but there's a group of maybe a hundred people, maybe two or three hundred if you want to get a little bit bigger than that, who are massively moving the needle to fix and disrupt big food, to fix the problems with with big pharma. Uh, and to make the environment a better place, to make us healthier and more vibrant as human beings, it is not that many people. And there's there's millions of people who are telling their friends and talking about this and, and on the mission. But the group of people doing big things, they are a community. And Mark and I and, and these people, we get together a few times a year at a few different events and put our heads together. Like, how do we do this better? How do we share? And being a part of that community has just so much improved my life uh, because when you realize that you have a sense of mission and a community behind it, you can do things that you would never do by yourself. It's incredible. And for people who are listening, you know, we, we talk a lot about community. We talk about it in Broken Brain. Uh, you know, you talk about it a bunch. We've had uh, past guests like Dr. Michelle Paris and other friends of ours come in and talk about how important it is. Um, when you think about the person who's out there listening and they're a listener of Bulletproof Radio, they're listening to our podcast, maybe Dr. Hyman's podcast, and they are beginning to make the first uh, connections with the, between the fact that you know, maybe they love their family, but their family's not as supportive as what they're into. Maybe they have friends who are trying their best, but just can't show up for them in the way that you know, their values don't necessarily align. For that person who's listening, what are some things that you've seen in your own life and learned from people who have been on your podcast that if somebody's literally starting from that place, because we get this question so often for people who are just starting their journey, what advice do you have for them to begin to start to create that ecosystem? Like one or one or first one or two steps that they could probably take to change the people around them and their environment and their friends? I'm not sure if this is the answer that people are going to like uh, hearing. Uh, it is that you probably should go see a therapist. <laughs> the reason is that if you're not uh, having relationships in your life that are uh, that are supporting you, there's a reason for it. And the common variable in those relationships is you. And what that means is that some of your internal pattern matching systems, some of these things around fear and anxiety and, and trauma, they've influenced you in a way that's designed to be invisible. And if your car had a weird shake and a rattle, you'd probably take it to a mechanic. If your community relationships or your, your family and friends have a weird rattle, go to an expert and ask for some diagnostic help so you can figure out what is holding you back. And I like to think about my friend TK, um, who's a uh, a pharmacist. And he's just one of the most loving, uh, giving guys. He's he's not in the book. Uh, but I started hanging out with him because he went to Burning Man with me. And I talked to him one night and he said, you know, last year, uh, my wife and I decided we hadn't paid attention to our friends in our community. So we decided to upgrade our friends. And they had made that the top priority in their relationship. So the two of them supported each other in doing it. And they had such a fun time and just radically expanded their universe of friends to, to be the kind of people who supported them and, and who they wanted to be. And it's, it's really amazing. They did it in one year. And they said, this is the most important thing we're doing to make ourselves better people right now. Like, how do we give back more? 
Uh, and how do we give back more into the community of our choice versus the community of our circumstances? And so I, I hold that out as, as sort of a hopeful thing that saying, you know, they didn't live in a big city. Uh, they're in, in a you know, remote, a smaller town. And you, you can do it if it's a priority. And the most important thing you can do is get alignment from one other friend or from your spouse and say, you know what, let's go out there and let's meet some new people. Let's not do it at bars. Like maybe try it at the yoga studio, try it at Whole Foods or, you know, go to a, uh, go to a, a health seminar, you know, go to um, the event that, that you put on uh, with, with Mark Hyman earlier. Uh, and I'm blanking the one where I spoke and I'm blanking on its name. Feel Good Summit. The Feel Good Summit. Go to Feel Good Summit. You watch the community building there. Um, in April, we've got the Bulletproof uh, Biohacking Conference, April 5th in LA. Uh, last year, we had 3,000 people show up who were looking for community. And then all of a sudden, like, oh, there's people who care about how they feel. Maybe I want to have lunch with those people instead of the people who care about whether the nachos have extra cheese on them. Right? Like, it, it's great to be surrounded with people like that. So you've got to find the places where those people go and, and show up there. And it'll change your life faster than anything. And that's why biohacking has always had a conference. That's why there's a community behind it. Because it, it's not about me. It, it's about making positive change. saying, oh, we have so much more control over our own biology. And when you get all that energy which you get when you fix your broken brain, which you get when you, you know, eat the right foods, uh, the way Mark talks about um, the, the bulletproof uh, perspective on it, which is very much in alignment with Mark. Once all that's there, what the heck are you going to do with all this, this good stuff you just created? And that's why I wrote Game Changers. I needed to know for my own life. Uh, and this knowledge is here. It's precious. And it's thousands and thousands of hours boiled down into about a four-hour read that's going to tell you, here's what I could do next that's going to change my game. It wouldn't be a podcast with Dave Asprey if we didn't talk a little bit about food, but I want to keep food about to the end because we, we talk a lot about it. But of course, your perspective, and you've been doing this so long, there's some interesting distinctions that you bring into the table, especially as this as any movement grows bigger, there's always confusion that comes in, and that's a natural part of anything. And so with the paleo movement getting bigger, or this movement, or keto, or these other buzzwords that are out there, uh, you bring a lot of focus um, and signal into the noise that's out there. So one of the things you talk about in your book is you should, you should eat like your grandmother, not like a caveman. Tell us about that idea. Sure. We, we have learned so much about this mitochondrial biology over the last while. And mitochondria, these ancient bacteria that I've, I've mentioned a few times, they come only from your mother and your mother's mother, and your mother's mother's mother, and so on down to actually only seven women in all of, uh, in all of at least our current species recorded history. Those mitochondria control your environmental uh, monitoring systems. They're, they're the first line that monitors the world around you, and they make all the energy in your body. And they evolved to thrive on certain things and to survive on many more things. And if you were to go back two or three generations on your mother's side of the family and your grandmother's side of the family and look at what your people ate historically, you might find that you come from a people who thrived on lentils for thousands of years. They're probably going to be on your diet. If you came from people who never ate lentils, they're probably not going to be on your diet. We know that no one diet works for everyone. And we know that your gut bacteria make a huge difference and all. But what's going on now is, is pretty much every human on the planet is a mixture of many different 
uh, you know, many different races. And we like to maybe, uh, we used to tell ourselves that wasn't true, but when you look at uh, your 23andMe genetic results, I didn't know, but I have a full Native American ancestor sometime in the 1700s, right? <laughs> it doesn't mean I'm Native American. It just means I'm carrying some interesting genes. So, But to the extent I know, I can kind of go in and say, for whatever I'm going to eat, whether it's the Bulletproof diet, whether I'm, I'm going to experiment with uh, some clean keto, please don't do dirty keto where you just go in ketosis all the time and eat pork rinds. That's not going to end well. I know I tried that in the 90s. Um, you know, wh- whether you're... Uh, whether you're going to thrive on one food or another is probably dependent on your grandmother. So let's look at what our ancestors, not human ancestors, ate, but your ancestors ate and use that to inform your diet. And yes, use uh, Dr. Hyman's work, uh, use a paleo template, use the Bulletproof diet. But if you tweak it for you to, to recognize your individuality, it'll happen. And the number one answer on the question that I asked to make the, the survey for Game Changers and all those interviews at Bulletproof Radio out of all of, of every person said three answers, 76% of the time food came up in the answer. And you could say, well, Dave, you interview some experts in nutrition, so there's a bias. It doesn't matter. Take out half that number. So many people have figured out if I eat the wrong stuff, I don't show up in the world the way I want. I will not meet my mission. I don't get my Nobel Prize if I can't think. I can't think if I eat the wrong stuff. So the people who really kick ass, they figured out what I eat matters. Game Changers is not a book about what to eat. I've written several books. Mark has written, I think, 11 books about that. There is great knowledge out there. And and that's not what Game Changers is for. But it is to say this rule that, number one, the people who really do big things, they care about what they eat. And the new knowledge in the book is, Maybe you want to customize your template based on your mom's, uh, your mom's ancestry. And that can, that can change everything for you. And it allows you to eat something different than your spouse or than your friends and not feel any guilt or ostracism about it. Like, hey, this is what's compatible with my biology. And it's totally cool if nightshades and whatever else and cheese works for you, but they don't work for me or vice versa. It's so true. And I think that the consequences now, especially with the industrialization of food, the consequences are so much higher. So in the past, when we didn't really have to study health, you know, let's say 100 years ago, uh, in general, I mean, some places it wasn't this way, but the damages that food could have on us was only to a certain extent. But now with additives, with antibiotics, with the other things that are out there, it's almost like we give a lot of attention. We give uh, a lot of focus to health and wellness in the beginning. So we don't have to think about it later on. So we can give love and attention to the things that matter, which is exactly what this book is. How do you give love and attention to the things that matter in your life? How do you have the focus? How do you remove the noise? How do you pay attention to what's important for you and have the tools and the resources to be able to do that? And Dave, I just want to congratulate you on putting together an incredible summary of all the past knowledge and life experiences that you've had that's practical and relatable and has really great, you know, everybody has a different weakest link. And you talk about that a little bit in the book and maybe we can end on that. And you might relate more to one section or to another. And then it's not just the great content that's in that section. Some of the sections we've covered here, it's also the interview that you can go listen to on the Bulletproof Radio podcast that relates to that section. It's the recommended reading that's there. So you can do a deep dive and figure out how to patch up some areas that are areas of yours that might be a weaker link that you want to give love and attention to. I mean, I've, I've spent 20 years working on these problems and I didn't 
know the scope of the knowledge that was out there. And I'm, I'm also frustrated that when I weighed 300 pounds, the knowledge that eating fat could make you lose weight existed. It just wasn't something my doctor talked about. We didn't have the internet to share it back then. So this is a way to save people years and years of searching to say, all right, here's my directory. Here's what I want to do first. And it's it's already helped me show up better as a as a father, as a CEO, just as a as a social you know health influencer kind of guy, um, and I, I think it has great value for people. So I I wrote it uh, because it's the highest return on investment for the time spent reading it of anything I could have written, and uh, it's it's there for everyone listening to uh, to take advantage of. Even if you just do one law, that's the law that's going to matter most for you. Before we go into uh, con- some concluding thoughts, um, the book comes out on uh, December 4th and our podcast comes right after that. People can find it on Amazon and a bunch of other places. Uh, where can we make sure that people find you on on social media and other links out there for those that are uh, not following you yet that might be new to the world of Bulletproof and Dave Asprey? I'm Dave.Asprey on Instagram. On Twitter, I'm Bulletproof Exec. And of course, on the Bulletproof.com website, you can find all the cool Bulletproof stuff as well as my blog. And Bulletproof Radio is in the top 10 iTunes health and fitness podcast, has been for five years. And in fact, we should cross 100 million downloads by the end of this year. So it's a it's a, a very well listened to show with some of the world's leading people on it talking about the various topics of biohacking, but but also how they get to how, how they get to be who they are. And what's their wiring like? Because we can all learn from people like that. So Dave, tell us about the book website, separate from Bulletproof and social, and you're doing a bunch of bonuses and giveaways with the book. Uh, tell us a little about that and where people can find out to get more. Sure. If you go to aspreygamechangers.com, that's A-S-P-R-E-Y, gamechangers.com, we're giving away $175,000 worth of cool stuff, including stem cell procedures to get younger including aura rings, including uh, juve lights, and including a bunch of other really cool stuff as uh, as gifts or potential prizes uh, for people who decide that they want to uh, take the plunge and read Game Changers. That's aspergamechangers.com, and it's the biggest giveaway I've ever done in my life, and there's so many cool people who just wanted to support uh, the mission of the book that they gave away some amazing prizes. Oh, that's huge. And if you uh, look at the email link from Broken Brain or also the show notes, we'll have a direct link to that website. So definitely check it out. Dave, thank you for doing that. And I'd love to practice something that you preach and talk about inside the book and take it back full circle, which is uh, back to uh, gratitude. Um, would love to just have you have the opportunity, just anything that you're present to on your mind right now, things that you've uh, you know, last 24 hours, or it could be just big picture stuff, just an opportunity. Give us two things that you're feeling grateful for and that um, are, are really meaningful for you right now in your life. Um, this is unrelated uh, to, to Game Changers, but I'm you know right in the middle of, of launching the book and sharing this knowledge with a lot of people. And my parents called up and said, hey, uh, we'd love to have the kids come over for the weekend. And so I'm, I'm really grateful that my, my kids get to know their grandparents and, and spend some quality time. And I'm grateful that my parents thought about it and said, hey, you could probably use some recovery time this weekend. You know, you're going to be flying to New York. You're going to go be on the Dr. Oz show and, and a bunch of other things like that. So they, uh, they're helping the kids, helping themselves uh, and helping me all at the same time. So I'm, I'm just grateful to have a supportive family. That's incredible. 
I love that. And since I'll practice uh, what you talk about inside of the book too, I want to give a little bit of love to, uh, we actually were talking here when we were jamming out in the session a little earlier. Um, I want to give some love to my two incredible sisters. Uh, one who you've met before, Dave, she interviewed you for Broken Brain, uh, Kea Perot, who's the director of content uh, at Mark and I's uh, companies. Uh, just so amazing, so knowledgeable, makes our life so much easier with her help and preparation for all the different incredible projects we get a chance to work on. And my other sister, Herschel Perot, incredible lawyer based in California. And I've just learned so much from them over the years. And this week, I'm very present to them with their birthday um, coming up and uh, just been an incredible supportive system. And, you know, they say like your siblings, if you're lucky, are your first friends. And I've had incredible friends from the time that I was young. So I want to thank my two sisters for being awesome. And Dave, I want to thank you for reminding us how important gratitude and these other subjects are. We super appreciate you having being here on the Broken Brain Podcast, and we wish you a ton of success with the book. Drew, thank you, my friend, and thank you for your work on the Broken Brain Podcast. Uh, knowing how broken my brain was, I wish I'd had your docuseries. I wish I'd had all that knowledge when I was 20. Uh, it took a long time to get myself back, and by sharing that knowledge the way uh, you and Mark have, you've changed a huge number of lives. And that, that matters. It matters a lot. And if, if you walked around thinking your brain isn't broken, um, great. You might have been like me where your brain wasn't working as well as you as it could and you just didn't know. But wherever you are, um, there's there's great knowledge and value there. And some of the highest leverage activity you can do is make sure your brain works well. And that's what all the people in Game Changers figured out. Smarter was one of the big three things they did. Oh, thank you for that acknowledgement, Dave. means the world. Go out there, get Game Changers, check out the Bulletproof Radio podcast, and uh, keep drinking your Bulletproof coffee. Dave, thank you again for being here. We appreciate you. Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the interview. Just a reminder, this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast is not, I repeat, it's not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or otherwise qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you're looking for help in your journey, seek out a qualified medical practitioner. If you're looking for a functional medicine practitioner, you can visit ifm.org and search their find a provider database. It's important that you have somebody in your corner that's qualified, that's trained, that's a licensed healthcare practitioner helping you make changes, especially when it comes to your health.